Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are locked on the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA Western Conference Preview number two. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, creator of the Locked On Podcast Network and radio voice of the Utah Jazz. So glad to have you with us. I hope you've got Eastern Conference 1 and 2, Western Conference number 1. I love how these have turned out. If you're just grabbing the first one because you saw your favorite team's name, the Pelicans, the Thunder, the Thuns, the Suns, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Kings, or the Utah Jazz, well, then let me tell you how this works. The Locked On Podcast Network produces daily podcasts for you about your team 15 minutes or so plus every single day. So go to iTunes or your podcast or whatever it is you use and subscribe to Locked On, your favorite team. The hosts of Locked On Pelicans, Jake Madison, Locked On Thunder, Fred Katz, Kellen Olsen of the Suns, Blazers, Eric Gunderson, Spurs, Jeff Garcia, Kings, Jason Ross, and myself, David Locke. We'll delve into our teams that we know better than anyone else and answer a set of questions for you today about the upcoming season for their teams. What are the main storylines? Who are the players you're going to think of differently at the end of the year? Likely case scenario. What derails the season? That's where these guys are going to go and give you the breakdown on the teams. We've done the same with Eastern Conference 1 and 2, and we've done the same with the other Western Conference teams. So if you haven't heard those already, please go back and do so. Today's program is brought to you by Warby Parker. Founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at revolutionary price point, and they have done it. WarbyParker.com slash locked to order your free home try-on today. You choose five frames you like. They mail the frames to you. You try them on. You take pictures. They send them back. They add your prescription, and you get them at an incredible price. I'll tell you more about Warby Parker. It's a really cool company. And... Athletes Collective, who I would not have found out if it wasn't for the podcast world. Danny LaRue, our Lockdown Warriors host, and Nate Duncan of Dunked On Basketball talk about these guys. I now have used them. They're terrific. Athletes Collective is a company that gives you athletic wear without the logo at 40 to 50% less off. They'll give you a promo code LOCKED as well. That gets you 15% off. I'll tell you more about those companies upcoming, but let's get into it. Here's how it works. We'll go to the host, and on the back side of it, I will give you a breakdown using our pack rating. Pack is points above average created. It's the offensive metric I use to evaluate players in the NBA. If a team, if a player has 10 scoring opportunities a night, the average player last year would have scored 10.4 points in those 10 opportunities, what does 
That's how I evaluate a player. So if you take a player, oh gosh, we're going to do the New Orleans Pelicans first. They've had enough players last year. I don't know who I could possibly find, but let's find one of their players. You find one of their players, and we find last year Eric Gordon used 13 and a half scoring opportunities a game. He scored .7 points above the average player in those. That's pretty darn good. He was a plus pack player. The flip side of that is they had Tyreek Evans. He uses 18 point or 14.2 scoring opportunities a game. He's .2 below the league average. If you distribute those amongst average players, that's where you'd be. That's how we evaluate players. That's how we look at the offenses on Locked on NBA, and that's the pack rating, and we'll have that for you about each and every team when we're done. Let's get it kicked off. We're going to do the Pelicans, the Thunder, the Suns, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Kings, and the Utah Jazz on today's edition of Locked on NBA Western Conference Preview. We started off with our host of Locked On Pelicans, Jake Madison. Hi, everyone. I'm Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, here to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans and preview their season for you. The first of the Pelicans' two biggest storylines is obviously going to be Anthony Davis. He had a bit of a down season this past year, his first in Alvin Gentry's offense, and he needs to rebound to where he was two years ago, where he was an MVP candidate, where he was carrying this Pelicans team to the playoffs. If he can get back to that level of play, he was a little less efficient last year shooting the ball, a little less decisive. Alvin Gentry even called him out for dogging it in games, and Davis even agreed with him, saying he looked at a lot of the film and realized he wasn't playing as hard as he can. This season, he started to embrace that leadership role even more so than in years past, and he knows this is his team, and he needs to put them on his back and carry them as far as he can. Health and everything like that is going to certainly be a factor. He's obviously off to a bad start with the ankle sprain making him potentially uh, doubtful for the season opener. But if Davis can stay relatively healthy, play a little bit more effective basketball in this more selfless style of Alvin Gentry's offense, he has a chance to get right back into the MVP conversation and potentially carry this Pelicans team to the seventh or eighth seed in the West. The second biggest storyline is going to be injuries when it comes to the Pelicans. Last year, they missed 351 games due to injury. There were 41 different starting lineups. As a coach or GM, it makes it very hard to evaluate the team to see if you have the right combination of players, the right lineups, to see which trends work, which trends don't. If the Pelicans can't get this right, the time for Anthony Davis's tenure in New Orleans could start to be ticking down. He signed his extension. He's here for the future, but that doesn't mean he's always going to be here. And this Pelicans front office and coaching staff needs to get this right sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you're looking at another potential Chris Paul situation, which I think all New Orleans fans would like to avoid. The Pelicans' biggest unknown is going to be their defense. They finished bottom five in the league last season and have made a huge effort this offseason to try and get them at least into the top half of the league and potentially the top ten. Gone are guys like Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, players who are very good offensively but offer you very little on the other side of the ball. In comes big money signing Solomon Hill and free agent guard Langston Galloway. Players that are more versatile can switch on the pick and roll and provide a little bit more help guarding the perimeter and leave it up to Anthony Davis and Omer Oshik to clean up the middle. Media Day was filled with players and coaches talking about this new-look style of defense, of switches, of more communication on that side of the ball. Pelicans fans haven't seen it so far in preseason, and there's no reason to think that that'll change come the regular season. But don't forget that Darren Ehrman is the architect of this defense, and he's built good defenses before. With Solomon Hill and players that better fit his system, there still is potential for it to happen. 
Jump into the next question of the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. The one name that really jumps out is going to be Tim Frazier. The Pelicans, other than Drew Holiday, have kind of been saddled with a lot of shoot-first point guard, selfish style of play point guards. Frazier is the exact opposite, and he's expected to be the starting point guard while Drew Holiday is out, so he'll have his chance to shine. He's a pass-first guard who can facilitate this offense with the unselfish style of play that Alvin Gentry wants. He looked good at the end of last season, averaging 7.5 assists per game while sporting a 40.3 assist percent. He's looked just as good in preseason while cutting down on his turnovers, and he should be able to weather the storm for the Pelicans while Drew Holiday is out. Do you want him being your starting point guard? No, but I think come the end of the season, Pelicans fans will be very happy with Tim Frazier running the second unit. So what would make the Pelican season great? There's two things here, and they kind of go hand in hand. The first is Anthony Davis needs to play 70-plus games for the Pelicans this year. They can't keep relying on other players to fill up the 25% of their games that he misses and the countless games that he leaves early when he gets dinged up. This team is only going to go as far as he takes them, and he needs to be on the court to be able to take them anywhere at all. The second part of that is the defense. If this team can get from the bottom five in the league to the top half, they're starting to build a strong identity that it's going to be easier to add pieces for the future. The Pelicans are a bit on the clock with Anthony Davis' extension kicking in this year and knowing they could potentially lose him in four years if they don't start to make some noise seriously soon. Defensively, they can start to make improvements, show Davis they're committed to this style of ball, and in the latter half of his contract extension, start to hopefully do some damage in the playoffs. But right now, this season, I think they're going to just be happy for getting into the top half of the league and showing some tangible improvement. And the flip side of that is what could derail the season where all the doom and gloom would come from, and that's if this defense doesn't improve. They signed big money guy like Solomon Hill, brought in other players to try and fix this defense to take a new look approach and kind of retool this team on the fly. If they don't show improvement, you've got to wonder if Alvin Gentry and Darren Ehrman can actually do it at all. And if you're Dell Demps and they're not able to, what do you do going forward? That to me is a recipe for Anthony Davis starting to think about greener pastures and playing elsewhere. And that could be a huge disaster for the Pelicans and their fans. The most likely scenario for the Pelicans is probably going to be somewhere around 38 wins. They're not going to be a playoff team just yet, not with Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans, Quincy Pondexter, three potential starters uh, out to start the year. They need to just show improvement defensively. They finished with 30 wins last year, jumping up eight wins and going from bottom five in the league to middle of the league when it comes to defense, I think will be a win for the front office, a win for the coaching staff. Might not necessarily be a win to fans, but it's going to show improvement, meaning they're only really a piece or two away from potentially competing for the seventh or eighth seed for the you know next three or four seasons. I think this is a transition year for the Pelicans. Playoffs are unlikely, though if everything goes well, they certainly could get there with about a 500 record of 41 and 41. But I think they'll take simple, tangible improvement this year, show Anthony Davis they're on the right track and committed to winning, and go into next season with a much better outlook and uh, playoffs on the mind. Well, thanks very much, Jake. What a dramatic change. A year ago at this time, this was the hot team. They'd come off the Warrior playoff series, and we felt like everything was clicking for them. And now it kind of flipped around, and uh, and our numbers show similar. We have them as a uh, a really kind of average to below average offensive team, one of the 
the worst offensive teams actually in the Western Conference is how our our numbers look at them on the pack rating. Uh, they've made some interesting plays and, and picked up some interesting players. Each one more, probably a little bit better than people realize in, in some of the things that they have done. But when you look at where they are, they, it just doesn't line up. And that's kind of what you could hear out of Jake there uh, for the Pelicans. And it obviously they start to get very fearful of what happens with Anthony Davis along the way. But our pack rating has them offensively as the worst offensive team in the Western Conference, even below that of Denver and Los Angeles, and have them hovering in the in the 30s for their probably the low 30s for their win total uh, along the way. All right, let's move it over to Oklahoma City. One of the most interesting stories of the year. What are they going to be like without Kevin Durant? Fred Katz does a great job on a highly popular Locked On Thunder, and he'll give us the look of what he thinks on this year's Thunder team. Hello there, everyone. I'm Fred Katz, host of Locked On Thunder. I'm a Thunder beat writer for the Norman Transcript down in Norman, Oklahoma. Find the show on iTunes, Audio Boom, and find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Now let's get to talking some Thunder. What are the two main storylines to the Thunder season? I think the first one is pretty darn obvious. I mean, Kevin Durant is on the Warriors now, in case you haven't been following basketball for the last five months. That's probably the biggest storyline in the entire NBA, let alone the biggest Thunder-related storyline. And just thinking about how the team is going to recover from Kevin Durant, who is maybe the most important part of this entire team's identity for the last you know, for its entire existence since it since it sprouted up in 2008 and came over from Seattle. So, that I mean, that is easily the biggest storyline for this team, just how it recovers from Durant. And in a related one, the, I mean, the second storyline is everything is going to be parsed off Kevin Durant. And number two is going to be, can Russell Westbrook carry this team to the playoffs? Is Russell Westbrook going to be able to take another step to his game? Now, I'm not somebody who believes that he needs to take another step to his game. He was one of the five or six best players in the NBA last year. He's one of the three best point guards. You can make an argument that he's the second best point guard ahead of Chris Paul. Uh, I think that's a closer argument than people realize. Uh, he he has the chance to be an MVP this year, depending on how good this team is. Uh, you know, normally MVP comes from a 50-win team. Uh, normally, it you know comes from a team that's a top four seed. The Thunder might not be able to get there, but if Westbrook is as good as he was in the past, and the other pieces kind of combine to bring them to fifty fifty two wins, which is really a best case scenario for this team. But if that does happen, he's going to be in the MVP discussion, and that's something that is worth following throughout the year because Russell Westbrook is a fascinating player a fascinating character in the NBA, and it's going to be something that we're going to want to follow. Whether you're a Thunder fan or not, it's going to be interesting. The biggest unknown, it's got to be the shooting. I mean, the Thunder put together this roster, really, assuming Kevin Durant would be here. It's a roster that makes a lot more sense if Kevin Durant is around. And it's really hard to try to figure out the strengths and the weaknesses of a roster where there's a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of guys who are kind of one-way players, whether they're only offense, only defense. And I think what we don't know right now is what kind of shooting team is it going to be? It doesn't look like they're going to make a lot of three-point shots. It looks like they're going to struggle spacing the floor. If that changes, they shot well in preseason, which really doesn't mean very much at all considering who they've been playing and who they've been playing against. But if they can make threes, if they can do that well, at least at an average pace and an average rate, uh, you know that's something that will help them a whole lot. The player most likely to be thought of differently by the end of the season, I think this is an easiest one. I think this might be the easiest question that we've got in our preview. I think that's Steven Adams. Now, maybe people are already have started to think of Steven Adams differently after his playoff round last year. He was so good in the playoffs. 
He was really good against Dallas, and then he just took his game to another level in the Western Conference semis and the Western Conference finals against the Spurs and against the Warriors. He was he was amazing in those two series defensively. Switching on to guards, he blocked the Stephen Curry three. His his footwork is amazing with the way that he's able to switch onto wings and to guards and to guard bigs, and he's tough in the post, and he's a good defensive rebounder, offensive rebounder. His offensive game is more expanded. It's not just him dunking anymore. He's a great athlete, and he can dunk on guys and throw down lobs and, and finish in the pick and roll, but he, he's got some moves around the basket now. He's got a little hook shot that he likes to go to. He's got a little almost Brooke Lopez-style floater that he likes to work with now. His offensive game has expanded. He's a good passer. He really is a good passer. I mean, I think he could be one of the breakout stars of the league this year. Now, I don't know if that means him being, you know, an all-league player or anything like that. But he last year, you know, if you're going with the casual fans, I mean, you look at his numbers from last year, and the casual fan must wonder, why the heck is Steven Adams going to get a max contract next offseason when he's a free agent? He averaged worse than eight points and seven rebounds last year. It's not just about those counting numbers. Um, he does so much more with the game. And I think people realize that. People who watch the game intensely do, do realize that, especially after this playoff run. But I think the counting numbers are going to come this year. I think he's got a real possibility of averaging a double-double. And when that happens, I think his reputation around the league, he's only 23 years old, is just going to jump. If this happens this season, it'll derail the year. So I'm going to fill in the blank. So if fill in the blank happens this season, it'll derail the year is question number five. I mean, it's an obvious answer, but if Adam or Westbrook gets hurt, I mean, that's just got to – those guys are so – this team is so dependent on those two guys, Westbrook offensively and Adams defensively. We saw Adams get hurt for a couple of preseason games. The defense couldn't handle it. The defense couldn't handle it, whether it was interiorly, whether it was on the outside with guys struggling to defend the three. His communication, so much about his play is so important to this team. And if one of those guys goes down, Adams or Westbrook, I mean, it's a top-heavy team. It's going to struggle. That's going to derail the season if that happens. But otherwise, I think it's a solid team. Uh, if Phil and the Blake happens, this season will be great. I think if the shooters actually make their shots and they find playing time while doing it, the season has a chance to be a lot better than it could be. That means Sabonis hitting a decent volume of threes. That means him taking a couple threes a game and hitting those threes. He looks like he's going to be the starting power forward. It means him actually hitting those shots and doing it at a decent rate. Enough so that defenders come out and guard him so it spaces the floor a little more. It means Abrinas actually getting playing time and, and hitting threes and, and running off screens and creating spacing and movement inside an offense that needs it as a rookie. It means Ilya Sova spacing the floor and probably hitting his career percentage from three. Singler's got to make threes too when he's in the game. Westbrook improves from three. Robertson improves a little bit. Those things happen. This could be... I mean, that's how this team could get to 50 wins. If you wanted to get to 50 wins, I mean, that's what would need to happen. They need to hit those threes because I do think this is a, a capable top 10 defense. I do think this is, as long as guys stay healthy with Adams and Robertson and Oladipo, this can be a top 10 defense. I, I really do think that. Uh, but they on the offensive end, they could struggle. They could struggle with spacing. It's going to be hard for guys to get to the line. The most likely scenario... I'm going with 45 wins. I think they're a five or a six seed in the West, kind of depending on how healthy Memphis is. The over-under for this team was 45 and a half. That came out before Cameron Payne got hurt. Uh, but, you know, even if you think Cameron Payne costs them one win, 44, 45 wins, I think it's the most likely scenario for this team. Uh, they could dip lower. If, you know, the offense really struggles, if the shooting struggles and they can't get spacing, they could dip lower. 
if the defense plays out of its mind, if Steven Adams takes another leap, if some guys unexpectedly make shots, they could dip higher. But that's the way they're going to do it. I think they're going to be around 45 wins. I'm Fred Katz. This has been a Locked On Thunder tidbit for your Western Conference Locked On Preview. You know, I hadn't thought of Fred's last point there about the defense. And I, I don't... I guess it could happen that they become an incredible perimeter defensive team with Oladipo and Robertson, and they become even despite having Cantor and Adams protects the rim. Uh, with the loss of Ibaka, I just have not had a moment where I thought of them as being an elite defensive team along the way. Sure, going to be interesting to see what Russell Westbrook does on our rating system. Offensively, they come out as the seventh best offensive team in the Western Conference, and they come out kind of overall right around that five, six, seven mark as well for where they're going to finish out. Uh, you know, lose Oladipo is just such an interesting player. He has improved his efficiency each of the last two seasons in how he's approached things. Uh, last year, his pack rating was negative 0.2, uh, which is not great, but it's bet, you know, it's starting to work toward average. It's far better than where he was originally. And it's, you know, I don't think we know who a player is. He is two years ago. He used 17.3% of his possessions to shoot a three. Last year, he took it up to 22.8% of his possessions, um, to shoot a three. To Oladipo's credit, what's interesting about that and what you have high hopes is he went to the free throw line about 10% of his possessions in the 14-15 season. And last year, he went nine. So while he extended his three point shooting, he didn't drastically drop, uh, into his free throw. He just, he hasn't been a good shooter is probably the biggest issue of all of that. Now, what is Russell going to do? Uh, we've seen it for a period of time. The, the thoughts are outlandish. Is it going to help you win? I think has got to be the big question there. Westbrook last year was a plus .5 pack player. That is good. It's not great. He, you know, as much as he puts up these huge numbers, he's not the high level efficient offensive player that carries your franchise, uh, through. It was a better than the year prior when he was, uh, forced to carry so much of the load and had that amazing 28 point game season. That year he actually was much less efficient at point one point. Uh, at a point one pack. So that'll be curious. Cantor's a great, great offensive player. Cantor will continue to keep them as a high-level offensive team. His pack is 1.7. It's one of the best in the league, and he's just so good uh, around the basket. I, Oklahoma City's – the whole conference is fascinating. Oklahoma City's as interesting as any team uh, out there. I know the Warriors are just so far ahead of everyone that everyone seems to have kind of lost the storylines that exist, but I'm finding every other team fascinating as well. The Speaking of fascinating business models that blow up systems, and that's what Warby Parker has done. They've taken boutique quality eyewear and put it at a revolutionary price. Warby Parker. I was introduced to Warby Parker, as I told you in the last show, by Jack Amiel, the writer of the Nick. He took me to their shop in New York, and it was so amazed by it, and he was so fired up, and I went in, and I was equally as much. Well, now Warby Parker comes to you at home. If you go to warbyparker.com slash locked, you will get the home try-on from Warby Parker. You choose five frames you'd like to try on. You 
all of them without your prescription. You then try them on. You send them back. Choose which one you want. They add your prescription and send it to you. And the prices are just fabulous. Prescription eyeglasses starting at $95. It's incredible. Warby Parker, buying glasses online, easy and risk-free. So try the home try-on program and get the glasses to you and send them back. There's no reason why glasses should be crazy expensive like an iPhone or a computer. So they start at $95, including polarized lenses, and available with prescriptions starting at $175, just like eyeglasses or sunglasses available through the high, the home try-on program. Uh, absolutely terrific stuff. Try it on. Jack Emil was just like so fired up when he took me there. It's like I thought it was going to the, and it was one of the coolest things. And now I am using Warby Parker as well. And you can do it with the promo code LOCKED. It's a really cool company as well. If you don't know the backstory, it started by four guys. And one of the things that they do is for every eyeglass that you purchase, they give one to someone in need, and that really helps out. Think about it. If, you can't, if you're in these underprivileged countries and you can't see, then you can't read, you can't learn, you can't advance, and that's what Warby Parker is all about. Try it out. Home try-on with Warby Parker. Promo code is locked. Get them sent to your home. Try them on. Send me the picture, and let me see which of the five glasses. I'll help you choose. WarbyParker.com slash locked. Phoenix Suns are trying to get this going. This is a really interesting show. Kellen Olsen does a nice job, and he's paired with longtime NBA veteran Eddie House, and the two of them put on Locked on Suns. If you're an NBA fan, I'd grab this one and subscribe to it because they talk a lot of NBA as well. Here's Kellen. Hello there. My name is Kellen Olsen, the co-host of Locked on Suns. I host the podcast alongside Eddie House, former 11-year NBA pro and 2008 NBA champion with the Boston Celtics. We talk a lot of NBA on the podcast outside of, of course, all things Phoenix Suns. We have talked about Dwayne Wade's move to Chicago, for example. Remember, Eddie was a teammate of Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Chris Bosh that first year of the Big Three in Miami. We're going to be talking a lot more about that in the future as well. And if you want to hear that, you can go to iTunes, look us up, search Locked On Suns, or you can go to our Twitter page. That's at Locked On PHX Suns. You can find the subscribe link in the bio. And then my own Twitter is Kellen Olson. That's at K-E-L-L-A-N-O-L-S-O-N. Let's get into the storylines for the Phoenix Suns. The two main storylines to watch are year two of Devin Booker is the first one to watch. Devin Booker took the world by storm in the Phoenix Suns land, at least. He was the number 13 overall pick. He was seen as a high IQ sharpshooter from Kentucky, but we didn't really see that much else of his game because, of course, he was on a loaded Kentucky roster where he couldn't touch the ball that much. As it turns out, Devin Booker was much better than all of us thought. He is very good in the pick and roll for his age, and especially with point guard type skills as a two guard. He can handle the ball. He can set up his teammates. He can finish with either hand at the rim. He can set up his own shot from the mid range or all the way out to the three point line. His shooting stats were a little bit disappointing 42% from the field and 34% from three. But remember, he was a rookie pushed into a significant offensive role. I do not expect those shooting percentages to be consistent over his career. Expect him to be right around 38 to 40% from three and then up towards 45 to 47% from the field goal range. He should be more than okay. And we sort of know that because he has gained praise from nearly every big superstar in the league last year. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, all in the past year have come out and said how impressed they were with a young kid from Kentucky. And he has a lot of people excited here in the Valley. Some believe he's the future of the franchise. Others are a bit adamant, want to wait and see how year two goes. So that is why it is one of the storylines to watch. The other one, of course, is a healthy guard trio. Less complicated to explain. Devin Booker, healthy, and now has officially had his breakout season. 
Brandon Knight, back healthy. Eric Bledsoe, back healthy. Now, Brandon Knight has moved to the bench because of Devin Booker's emergence, but still having those three together healthy, that is a very lethal offensive trio if everything clicks and could have the Phoenix Suns be a dangerous team floating around the playoff line, really, if that three-guard unit gels as well as they could. The biggest unknown for the team, though, however, and the hesitancy in saying that for that three-guard unit is Brandon Knight. He has started 96% of his career games That is not going to be the case anymore because he's, of course, moving to the bench, like I said. That's because he was outright terrible last year. He took poor shots consistently. He was taking these weird step backs with one foot on the three-point line, off the back rim. It was just all these terrible shots. And he didn't show an all-around playmaking ability that's required for someone to play point guard really at any time. He's not a very good passer. He's particularly inaccurate with his passes. It's surprising, really, how off his passes are sometimes. And he just makes incorrect reads all the time and just looks more suited to play shooting guard off the bench. Most of all, he was horrible on defense. He was one of the worst defenders on the team last year, and that's really saying something. And that was shocking because he was an average to above average defender in Milwaukee with his time there. But we do have reason to believe that he's going to be someone to be reckoned with next season with the energy he has shown in preseason. He is at least giving a lot of effort defensively, and that's a good response that you want to see from someone getting moved to the bench. Hopefully it will translate to a six-man game that looks like it should be a good fit. The player to be thought of the most differently at the end of the season, I think Eric Bledsoe is going to start getting more national recognition as a top 10 point guard in the NBA. He should have made the all-star team if he was fully healthy last year and then, of course, three years ago. Last year, he averaged 20 points, four rebounds, six assists on 45-37-80 shooting splits. That 37% from three was on 4.2 attempts per game. He's become a legitimately good three-point shooter while also being lethal attacking the basket. Bledsoe has always been improving as a passer and a playmaker in every year with Phoenix, and now he is legitimately a point guard. There was discussion early in his career, is he a shooting guard, is he a point guard? He's a point guard, and he's a pretty good one, and I think he's going to start getting more respect at the end of the year if he stays healthy. A great season for this team would be a top 15 defense. Earl Watson has come in after being the interim last year. The players demanded, they didn't really demand, I should say, they requested that he come back as the coach this year, and he was. He was signed to a three-year deal. He has brought a really a culture change to this team and has made it all about family. He calls the team a family in the locker room, and that has brought more effort and energy. Last year, they were 15th in the NBA in defense when Watson was coaching. Of course, that was towards the end of the season, so it doesn't really matter too much, but Dudley is a far better, Jared Dudley, of course, a far better defensive power forward option than Mirza Toledovic and John Luer last year, uh, at the end of last year, I should say, when Markeith Morris was traded. And then if Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, and Tyson Chandler all come back to where their talent is currently, they should be better defensively as well, especially Knight and Bledsoe both, who really just didn't show the effort last year, but both can be, Knight can be an average defender. Bledsoe can be one of the best defenders at his position if he's really locked in. And that could come with having a top 15 defense, which could really help this team push towards 40 wins. What could derail this team? It's simple. Injuries. Bledsoe has had two major knee surgeries in the past three years. Tyson Chandler is 34. Jared Dudley and P.J. Tucker are 31. Those are three starters that are getting there in age. Knight has only played over 66 games in a season twice. He has had minor injuries both years here in Phoenix, so he has not shown yet that he can play 75 to 80 games or 82. Maybe that comes easier with a bench roll. Who knows? And then T.J. Warren, of course, the promising young scorer out of North Carolina State, is coming off of foot surgery. The most likely scenario for this team is somewhere around 32 to 36 wins. What fans are hoping for is that Earl Watson really does develop that culture and that family aspect that he's been talking about so much to the media 
and that brings promise for the future along with the development of Devin Booker. But this team will improve off last year's win total. There's no doubt about it. There were simply too many injuries, and losing Eric Bledsoe was a huge, huge loss. And they should be at least a couple of wins better. But I think they'll be around 32 to 36 wins. That's my opinion, at least. What's yours? Let us know. Once again, that is at Suns on Twitter. Hope to see you there. Goodbye. Thanks a lot, Kellen. And remember, Eddie House regularly joins that program. Uh, so it's a good one. You might want to add it to your list just as an NBA fan because Eddie brings some great insight with his 11 years in the NBA and the players he's played with uh, along the way. Phoenix interesting. We've seen him twice in the preseason. And I'll tell you what, Earl Watson could sell you a car without tires, but I begin to wonder a little bit that that might be what he's doing with the Phoenix Suns. They did not look particularly uh, detail-oriented. They did not look particularly strong uh, when we were with that. Watched them twice. Brandon Knight seemed to be his approach to coming off the bench seemed to be that uh, it meant he got to shoot every single time. He's an inefficient player. His pack rating last year was a negative .7 in the 18.4 scoring opportunities he used. An average player would have scored .7 points more than him. That's a lot every single game out there. Uh, Eric Bledsoe didn't seem to have his usual explosion of when he was, you know, pre knee injury last year. He was 20 points a game. He was very efficient going to line 11% of his possessions. He didn't seem to have that same kind of bounce uh, that we saw him. They're interesting. I love Dragon Bender. The, the skill set he has is is world-class, and they're going to have to figure out how to get the 19-year-old together, Marquise Chris as well. Kind of an interesting mix. They've got Booker, they've got Chris, they've got Bender. Is Bledsoe in or out of that group? Where does Alex Lenfit, who was terribly inefficient last year, shooting 42% as a 7-footer with a negative 1.1 pack rating in his nine scoring opportunities? Interesting to watch where they go, but Earl can really get you to believe anything, and if he can get that group to have that kind of pizzazz and believe, then they'll give people a hard time. They're not going to be an easy W. That is absolutely for certain. The story of the year last year in many ways was the Portland Trailblazers. Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, the brilliant offensive Terry Stotts. Remember in that playoff series, they led the Warriors for most of those games before falling late in each of them. What does Terry Stotts have up for this team? How far can they go? Eric Garcia Gunderson the host of Locked On Blazers. Hey, it's Eric Garcia Gunderson here from Locked On Blazers part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and uh, you should definitely listen to us if you want to keep tabs on the Blazers. The season's ramping up. It's going to be a really interesting year. I think the Blazers have a really strong team. Uh, I think bringing back uh, a lot of the guys from last year's team, which surprised a lot of people, and we're going to talk about them. We go in-depth. Uh, I have a co-host, Dane Carbaugh, from NBC's Pro Basketball Talk and the host of the uh, web video show The Rewind and you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, anywhere you can get a podcast and we give you guys uh, some fresh insight on the Blazers. We give you good analysis. We watch the games closely uh, a little bit with more of a, a scout's view of things uh, from time to time but then we also you know keep tabs on the storylines. We have good interviews. We have guests from all over the country and people who cover the league so uh, definitely tune in uh, for that. But you're here for the Blazers season preview, and we're going to give it to you right here, uh, starting with the main two storylines 
uh, to the Blazers season. I think the most important one, I think often, you know, we, we lose ourselves in the minutia of the NBA, but at the end of the day, this thing, this league comes down to the superstars. So my number one question storyline is how much better is Damian Lillard? Uh, because, um, he will, the Blazers will go as far as he will take them. And I don't mean this just offensively in terms of expanding his range, uh, farther beyond the three point line. I mean this also defensively. Does the addition of another ball handler give him a little bit more energy uh, to play better defense? Does he become a better defender? Does he kind of shed that label? Uh, does he make the all-star team this year? Maybe that's not so important, but how much better is he? Because I think how much better Lillard is really will dictate, you know, it's not all on him, but at the end of the day, you only go as far as your best players can take you. Uh, I think the Warriors are a great example of that over the past couple of seasons where, um, you know, Curry's improvement in every, in, you know, many ways has been, uh, the catalyst to their rise. Uh, and, you know, he's gotten consistently better over the years. So I think, um, whether, you know, Lillard can elevate his game, I think he will, but I think that's uh, a number, a number, the number most important story if the Blazers want to get to where they want to go. Um, and then the other, uh, important storyline is who else is going to be able to knock down shots from the wing other than Alan Crabb and CJ McCollum? CJ McCollum and Alan Crabb are both knockdown shooters. They've been pretty good shooters for most of their career, but what about the other guys that are going to be playing on the wing alongside Lillard, McCollum, and Crabb. Uh, Al-Faruq Aminu is a career 32% three-point shooter, Thought th- shot 36% last year from three. It was a career best year for Aminu. Can he keep that up? And, uh, you know, if he doesn't, how would that affect the Blazers? Uh, or does Mo Harkless step up and have a good year? He's a career 30% three-point shooter who t- shot 28% last year. And then Evan Turner, also a career 30% three-point shooter, shot 24% last year. So which which one of those guys, if any of those guys is going to hit, you know, a consistently decent amount from three? It was Aminu last year. He really delivered. Um, but can he do that again? I think that's a fair question. Um, the biggest unknown for this team right now is, is can they play any defense? Uh, the Blazers have everything you want in an up-and-coming team except the defense. You know, Lillard and McCollum, I think, get uh, – uh, you know, the majority of the criticism when it comes to this, I think Plumley also, um, lacks at times as an interior defender. I think the guys who it looks like they're going to start, Harkless and Aminu are both very long rangey defenders, both about six nine, can really cover a lot of ground or versatile. Um, I don't think those guys are the problem and I don't think that McCollum is t- um, that bad of a defender. I think Plumley has the tools to be a defender. I think Lillard has the tools to be a really good defender. Um, I think a lot of times it's, it's about a willingness or it's about the energy, you know, uh, Lillard carries a load. Uh, we've seen that with James Harden before, you know, where guys carry a really massive load. Lillard had a 30% usage rate or something last year. So, um, it's fair to expect to see him you know, be tired, but, uh, can he turn the corner in that regard? Can the Blazers turn the corner in that regard with their defense? Can they be above average for the whole season? They've played good for stretches, but can they be above average for the whole season? Um, and then a, a guy who I think that people will think about differently in the coming season uh, is Myers Leonard, uh, because I think this is the season that he truly becomes a force um, that opponents take seriously. I think he has been a game-changing force. I think he has been a guy, um, you know, teams have scouted. I think it's maybe not fair to say that teams haven't scouted against him. You know, they have gotten out to the three-point line a little bit more, but, um, you know, what it, it, 
is he going to be more dynamic? Is he going to be a guy that you can't just make one adjustment and, and he's out of the game, which I think is what a lot of teams have been able to do with Myers Leonard. And I think this is the season um, that he does that. I think people are going to think of him differently. I think people are going to look at that contract like it was a steal. Um, he's had some back problems in camp while coming back from a shoulder injury, but I think he's going to be fine. And um, I think this is the year that he really um, makes an impact and people really he really turns some heads. Um, I think this season will be great if the Blazers play above average defense and they seamlessly integrate Turner. Um, I, I, I think that's uh, like the best case scenario. They play above average defense and Turner fits in great. Um, I think if Turner doesn't fit, uh, with the team and the, and they have some injuries after having some pretty good health, especially at the wing positions last year. Um, you know, they lost Lillard for a, a small amount of time and Gerald Henderson started the season, uh, with an injury, but for the most part, their wings were pretty healthy. Crab, Aminu, Harkless. So, um, and, and CJ McCollum as well, where they only missed one game, I think. So, um, Will they stay healthy? Uh, so I think injuries is a, is a real uh, big concern for this team. Uh, but finally, uh, I think the most likely scenario for this Blazers team, you know, you can call it a homer if you want to, if this thing goes over the over, but I think they're going to finish with somewhere between, you know, 47 to 50 wins. I know that's kind of a long range, but I think they finish at the top of the Northwest Division. I think they have a great shot at home court. Uh, they have continuity in their favor. They don't have to adjust like they did last year to a completely new team. Uh, they went 11 and 20 last year, and I just don't see them starting that poorly again. And they still managed to finish fifth in the West last year. So I think they're going to have a very solid season. They're just so, so difficult to guard with Dame and CJ. And then they play a little differently defensively. They really switch everything, make you play one versus one uh, play. Terry Stotts has it figured out. Very, very smart basketball from Portland. That's a playoff team. Probably the fourth seed in the Western Conference. Oh, getting to the second round against the Warriors. Uh, they've won big games. They've been a part of important games. They have that edge. A lot of people talk about Utah. We're talking coming up. We're, a lot of people talk about some other teams. These guys have won important big games and are doing, you know, and, and are progressing. And even some of their players, their player development, Alan Crabb suddenly looking like he can play off the dribble. Noah Vonley may be giving minutes. The player development in Portland's as good as any team, uh, in the league. Athletes Collective is a clothing company that allows you to get sportswear at premium sportswear at affordable prices. How do they do it? They take the logo off. You pay so much money for marketing and logos and branding, but what you really want is you want clothes that you can play hoops in, you can work out in, that feel good, and that are of high quality. Well, that's what Athletes Collective does. It costs 40 to 50% less than the major brands with the same high-quality technical fabrics. I heard about it from Nate and Danny LaRue and tried it recently. It's great. I love my V-neck shirt. It's I, I would strongly suggest it. It, it. The prices are incredible. I got the Fulkerson V-neck. It's $19. Plus, if you use the promo code LOCKED at checkout, you get 15% off your first order. The long sleeve shirts are equally as nice. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, and they've got the crew neck short sleeve shirts, too. It's straightforward for you. Uh, 
the laser blue Fulkerson tee, by the way, just got discounted down to $15. The Heather Gray is $19. These are incredible prices. And then you get 15% off with the promo code LOCKED. And trust me, the minute you try it on, you'll be like, oh, yeah, awesome. Pre-shrunk, shrunk, pre-shrunk so you can wash them, dry them as many times as you want. Free shipping across the U.S. and Canada, 100% satisfaction, guaranteed. Check it out. It's Athletes Collective, and I found out about it from the guys. You're finding out about it from me. Please go and try it, and I think you'll be very, very pleased with what you find out from Athletes Collective. Continuing, Western Conference, San Antonio Spurs. Jeff Garcia is our host. I have some questions about the Spurs. Jeff, I don't think does. Hey, this is Jeff Garcia over at Locked On Spurs, and I'm here to give you a quick preview of the San Antonio Spurs. Perhaps the two main storylines heading into the new season is this. One, can the team be a title contender without Tim Duncan? Tim Duncan not only brought the defensive presence last season, which helped the Spurs reach a 67-win franchise record and almost went flawless at home, Now he's gone. So the Spurs now are going to be looking at a brand new team with new parts such as Pau Gasol, Dwayne Dedman, rookie DeJounte Murray, and some foreign prospects they brought over from overseas. Is this enough to make the Spurs still a title contender? And perhaps the second storyline is this. Is Kawhi Leonard ready to take the next step in being that leader to fill that void Tim Duncan left behind. As you know, Kawhi Leonard is more of a quiet player, a silent assassin on the court. But now with Tim Duncan gone, who's going to be that vocal leader? The ball, or in this case, the torch, has been passed to Kawhi Leonard from Tim Duncan. Is Kawhi Leonard ready to make a next step outside of his game and simply be more of a leader? That remains to be seen. Perhaps the biggest unknown heading into the new season is... Will the new parts, the new players, mesh well in time this season to make a serious title run? As I mentioned, Paul Gasol is a new spur. You add in Dwayne Dedman, DeJounte Murray. You bring in rookie foreign prospects, Davis Bertans, Livio John Charles. David Lee is now on the roster. This is practically a brand new squad. Fortunately for them, the Spurs still have two of the remaining big three Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili, and of course, Coach Pop is still on the sidelines. But with the Spurs all in all being a brand new squad and looking to still be that contender, perhaps the biggest unknown is, will the new parts mesh well in time when the postseason comes around? The player most likely to be thought of differently once the season ends will have to be, for better or for worse, Danny Green. Danny Green is coming off one of his worst offensive performances last year. Gone was that persistent and consistent threat from outside the arc. Now, with a new season, a new slate for Danny Green, will he be regaining that shooting touch before the regular season kicks off, and especially when it really counts at the end of the regular season heading into the postseason? More than likely in the 2016-2017 season, He'll climb out of the doghouse and regain his shooting stroke just in time for the Spurs to make a serious push down the stretch. Now, there's one thing that could happen and hopefully will happen for the San Antonio Spurs that will make the season great. And that is Tony Parker taking a back seat and becoming more of a pass first point guard versus a scoring point guard that he has been throughout his NBA career. Inserted into the Spurs roster, as I mentioned, was Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol, LaMarcus Aldridge, 
to a certain extent, Kawhi Leonard, guys like Danny Green, rookies like Davis Bertans, who are going to need the ball. They are not players that can create offense for themselves. Tony Parker will now have to become more of a pass-first guard and take a back seat offensively. There are plenty of scoring options around him, but can Tony Parker now give up shots for the betterment of the team? I think he will. If Tony Parker becomes more of a facilitator versus a scorer, the season will be great. More than likely, if Kawhi Leonard goes down with an injury, that will derail the entire Spurs season. He is the star. He is their chief. He is going to be an MVP candidate. If he's not on his game, if he's not being the Kawhi Leonard that he has established himself since being drafted, and of course in recent seasons, then the Spurs season will come off the tracks and derail. And finally, the most likely case scenario for the San Antonio Spurs as the new season begins is this. No championship. The Spurs are going to have a great season. They're not going to have 67 wins considering it's a brand new team. And at the fact, too, that their defense will slip now that Tim Duncan is gone, David Lee and Pau Gasol are in, and they are not known for great defense. But nonetheless, the Spurs will have another Fantastic season. They will win 50 or more games. Keep up that 50-plus winning season streak alive. But eventually, their new parts, their young players, um, is going to catch up to them. And uh, I just do not think this Spurs team, as constructed right now, is well-equipped to handle more youthful and more athletic teams in the West or the East, namely the Golden State Warriors and, to a lesser extent, the Los Angeles Clippers. But in the end, the Spurs are still in a transition phase. We'll see them uh, still continue to grow and develop their new players, bring them along, and hopefully they'll make some noise in the postseason. Follow me at LockedOnSpurs on Audioboom.com, Stitcher, iTunes, and many more. A very realistic look from Jeff. The one that jumps out at me on the Spurs is you look at their front court, and everyone talks about Spurs culture, and it's unbelievable. It's unprecedented. LaMarcus Aldridge is their longest standing player of their front court. You know, Aldridge was, is it been there a year? David Lee and Dwayne Dedman are their back ups and Pau Gasol is new. I, I'm not sure, uh, that that's going to be able to maintain the incredible Spurs culture. The LaMarcus Aldridge reports the last few days are interesting because frankly, you know what? The people in Portland weren't surprised to hear this. They weren't surprised to hear that LaMarcus Aldridge was was upset about things. And so how are Manu and Tony going to react to it? It's an interesting transition. It's got great lead. They've got the best leadership in the game. They play the game so well defensively. And that's the final thing is last year when I watched them defensively, I began to wonder if they had kind of mastered it. Did they have a trick? Did they know something that other people didn't know? They seem to move places before the pass was made. And if, you know that there's the way they have been so far ahead of the game for so long it doesn't seem stunning to me that they might be not be doing that and then they're just as good defensively they're anywhere near where they were defensively all the other things that I'm talking about are just ridiculous and so many people have doubted the Spurs and I'm not doubting them to say that I think they're not going to be great I just wonder whether they're a 50 win team instead of a 58 win team shucks darn for them but that's a big drop for them they continue their 50 win streak but it does feel as though they just might not be as solid as they once were. Now, with all of that said, I got to tell you, the numbers still have them uh, at 
terrific uh, as the second team in the West, projected out to 59 wins. Great pack team, great pack defensive team. They're, they're through the roof. And the thing is, they have almost no negative players. Danny Green was negative last year at negative .7 pack. But everybody else on that roster is a pas- positive pack player. And so they become much better offensively, collectively, than we ever give them credit for. Pau Gasol comes in and he'll, with his passing and... So any of these concerns that I have, Rob Mahoney's voiced him, Zach Lowe, they, they all seem that they, they might be you know, truly ridiculous uh, when it gets to it because this team has almost every single one of their players as an above-average offensive possession user, which means they're immediately into the top of the game offensively. You know they're going to be great defensively, and you know they're going to play the game right. So what are we talking about? Spurs maybe struggle with the Clippers in the second round of the playoffs or something of that sort, but for all the concerns, I think once the season starts, they will disappear. Let's go to Jason Ross, and he looks at the Sacramento Kings who will be debuting the unbelievable new Golden One Center. Hey there, Jason Ross here from Locked On Kings. For those Kings fans out there, they'll know me from my radio show or certainly for 20-plus years of working with the Sacramento Kings, doing the pregame, halftime, and postgame shows, filling in on play-by-play on the radio. So i got a lot of experience regarding the Sacramento Kings. So with that said, I hope you get a chance to check out Locked on Kings each and every day, Monday through Friday. We're going to have a lot of content, predictions, interviews, um, storylines, highlights, audio, just a lot of different things that go on our daily podcast regarding the Sacramento Kings. So with that said, want to get you a couple things, a couple questions that we're answering here on a Western Conference preview. First up, the main two storylines for the Sacramento Kings season. I would say number one is a brand-new coaching staff. Dave Yeager comes over from Memphis, a guy who was very successful there, a guy who had a team that was the grit and grind, a very physical team, a team that had a focus towards defense. But don't get it twisted, too. So far in the preseason, I have noticed a strong desire to really work on the offense, the high-post offense with DeMarcus Cousins has looked to be productive. We're seeing a team that shoots threes more, and we're seeing some teams out of timeouts called by Coach Yeager execute and get easy buckets. So I think he's known for his defense, but I think he'll still have a really solid and a different-looking offense than the Kings had in, this, had in the past. So my first storyline certainly is the new coaching staff and how much of an impact that will have and maybe some stability, much-needed stability for this organization. And then my second storyline, you got to go to the best player, and that's DeMarcus Cousins. So the question I have about DeMarcus, can his top-level talent translate into winning, and winning at a high level for the Sacramento Kings? We have this question all the time on the radio or here on this podcast. Name me another big man that's bigger than Cousins. You can come up with a few others that are similar, but... The entire skill set that DeMarcus has, he is a top 10 player in this league now. And maybe top 15, wherever you put him, he's one of the elite players. Let's put it that way. But all the other elite players are winning at a better percentage. So why is that? So my question is, on that other storyline for this season, can DeMarcus's talent finally translate into winning at a percentage that some of the other elite players are doing? We're not asking him to win like the Warriors. The team is better. But LeBron's taken some bad teams. Kevin Durant's been on some bad teams. Other guys that you consider really, really good have won more than 33 games. So it's not all on DeMarcus, but if he's your best player, he's your franchise guy, he's an Olympian, he's a two-time All-Star, that is another big storyline. Can that translate into more wins for the Sacramento Kings? Second question, what is the biggest unknown going into the season for the Sacramento Kings? I'll answer that one this way. Point guard play 
and Rudy Gay. First with the point guard play. We know Darren Collison is out for the first eight games due to a league-wide suspension. Ty Lawson is the backup. We're seeing Garrett Temple play some point. Maybe Jordan Farmar, rookie Isaiah Cousins. It's thin. It's really, really thin, especially if Lawson continues to have more issues like he's had so far. Missing, being late for a morning shoot-around, missing the flight going to the preseason game in Kentucky. He already has some red flags. I thought the position was looking pretty good in the preseason, but there are some unknowns there. And then Rudy Gay. I think Rudy Gay is really a good player. He's already expressed a desire to opt out at the end of the year, which does make financial sense. But will that have any kind of lingering effects on his play this season? The next thought, the player that you'll most likely be thought of differently at the end of the season and I'm going right back to Darren Collison. His offseason wasn't great. We know he had the domestic abuse situation. He has admitted to that, owned up to it. He's going to miss eight games. But everybody kind of talks about Darren Collison in the same way. They look at him as not a starting point guard, but maybe one of the best backup point guards in the league. Well, I think he's going to be the starting point guard of this team. He's playing on a contract here. He's on an incredibly... Um, generous contract for the Sacramento Kings, a final year of a three-year deal, and he is going to get paid. So I imagine Darren Collison having a big year, and then people maybe across the league being a little surprised at the contract he gets next summer, but I think it's going to be rightly deserved. So I think Darren Collison is a guy that people will think of differently after the 82-game journey is done. Uh, The next thought, if this happens, the season will be great for the Kings. Well, there's a lot of layers here to this question, and I'll answer that one this way. Dave Yeager's defensive mentality connects with the team. This team has been a bad defensive team. I don't think they're filled with great defensive players, but a defensive-minded coach, Dave Yeager in the preseason, has been relentless with this. I mean, they played Maccabi Haifa in a preseason game. The Kings were winning by 30, and Maccabi Haifa went on an 8-2 run, a game the Kings aren't going to lose calls a timeout immediately, is always got the attention to detail on defense. You instill that every day, every day, every day. It's got to translate and kind of bleed over into the team. So if they become a better defensive team, if the Kings improve three-point shooting that we're seeing starts to make a difference. They were brutal at it two years ago, better last year, and now more guys are capable of it. If that three-point weapon kind of affects the team in a positive way, that will be a huge difference this year. I mentioned DeMarcus earlier. If he absolutely dominates and has an out-of-this-world year, Rudy Gay returns to his form of a couple of years ago where he was efficient and scoring 20 a game. And then all the veterans they added contribute, and the rookies don't have to play. I think that's a good sign for the Sacramento Kings team. That means they're winning a lot, everybody's contributing, and I think that's what would happen to make this season great. Now on the flip side, if this happens, the season will derail Where I'm going to go with that is more internal issues. This team, maybe more than any, has had stuff, right? I don't know any other way to put it, but just stuff going on from the top to the bottom to the players to the coaches. It's just been not good. And so the only way to clear it up, winning will do it, but stability will do it. I think now that the ownership's in place, the GM's in place, a coach is in place, they've got a lot of veterans cleaning up that locker room. Hopefully they'll avoid these eternal issues. But losing happens, that first four-game losing streak or losing three out of five, things that happen in the NBA and things to happen that teams that are below 500, how you handle that will be important. And another way this could derail is injuries, just like any team, but high-level injuries that force the younger guys to play because so far in the preseason, the younger guys don't look like they're quite ready. All right, and then my last comment is the most likely scenario for the Sacramento Kings. Well, it's probably somewhere in between if everything goes great, and if everything will derail. Uh, This team won 33 games last year. 
that's the most they've had in a while, which is honestly. Thanks a lot, Jason. Good summation. Got a little optimistic there, and then couldn't finish it out uh, with that type of optimism. We'll see uh, where they're going. I can't wait to see that building. I think we're the last, The Jazz are the last team. I think we head there on March fifth. I think we'll be the last team uh, to go see that building uh, in Sacramento. Remind you, Warby Parker, nice enough to sponsor today's program. You get the program for free. Please help out our sponsors, WarbyParker.com slash lock to the home try-on. It's so cool. You just literally pick five frames. You can look through them online, figure out which ones you like the best. And then from there, they send them to you. You get five days to try them on. You send it back. They put your prescription in and bring it right back to you. It's a terrific buyer experience. And also, Athletes Collective, the uh, 40 to 50% off with just as good a quality, just as nice a feel. Athletes Collective, try it out. Use the promo code LOCKED and get 15% off. Well, our next host is the host of Locked on Jazz. That's me. So I need to tell you what I think about the Utah Jazz to cap this up. The first question is the two main storylines for the season for the Jazz. Well, number one is the storyline about depth. The Jazz in the offseason finally made the move to become a winning team rather than a developing team, and they added great depth with the veteran Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, as well as George Hill. And what jumps out about that is last year the Jazz lost 28 games that were within five points with five minutes left. Most of those games they were going into trailing. So can the Jazz, with their new depth, be in a better position for those final five minutes of games? The Jazz' four most used lineups last year outscored their opponents by 8.8 points per 100 possessions. So when the Jazz had their primary guys on the floor, they were really, really good. And therefore, But then, with the injuries and going to guys like Chris Johnson and Joe Ingles and Shelvin Mack became a starter and Howell Neto was your backup and Trey Burke, they just couldn't hold into games uh, with all the injuries to Favors and Gobert and everyone else along the way and Dante Exum for the season. They just weren't able to make that final push. The second part of this storyline of this season, to me, partially is the return of Dante Exum, but I would say a bigger issue is can this team win important basketball games? And to the same point, can they close? For all the talk and the optimism about the Utah Jazz this year, and they're being picked as high as fourth, and other people thinking this, they're going to win 50. This team has ne- this as it's constructed prior to the additions, they've never won an important basketball game they had to win. They had a really bad loss at the end of last year against the Clippers when Cole Aldridge and Jamal Crawford put them on it. A game, if they had won, they make the playoffs. They lost a game to Dallas they needed to win. Late in the season, they couldn't find a way to get that win. This group has not won games. Now, Boris Diaz, an NBA champion. Uh, George Hill's been to the Western Conference Finals in the playoffs, and George Hill's been positive plus minus every single year uh, in which he has been on on the floor for his team. So these type of things are what the Jazz probably need. They've added a passing big in Boris Diaw that late games may be able to help them. They've never had that. Joe Johnson, one of the best late game players. Can this team find a way? But everything I talked about there was offensive. And frankly, the problem for the Jazz last year was defensive. Late in games, the Jazz were 29th in the league defensively. They were 30th in the league in defensive rebounding. These are areas where the Jazz are going to have to figure out how it is that they're going to play late in games to be able to win. And part of it is the team, I mean, team shot 48% from the field and 40 from three in the final five minutes of games. So something's happening late in games where teams are able to get to their sets where the Jazz defensive prowess that has had them uh, be a top 10 defensive team in the NBA the last two years is not 
having an impact. And so storyline for the Jazz, number one, is the increased depth. And does that give them a better 48-minute effort throughout the season? And storyline number two is can they finish games both offensively and defensively? Uh, with this team. The other one I would say on the Jazz depth is you look at their roster right now, 11, 12, 13, and 14 are very good. Shelvin Mack, Howell Noah, Jeff Withy, and Joe Ingles, if everyone's healthy. So they should be able to handle, which most of our shows so far in these previews have talked about injuries. The, this is the one uh, in which the Jazz may be one of the teams that actually can handle some of these injuries. They have them already with the Gordon Hayward finger, with Derek Favors' leg, with Alec Burks not coming back. Uh, and so that is uh, that that is part of the story for them, but they may be equipped to handle that better than most people. The biggest unknown for the Jazz coming into this season, frankly, is probably Joe Johnson Boris Diaw, both are on the backside of the age game. What it is that they are going to be able to bring to the roster. We've seen in the preseason, Boris Diaw's incredible passing, how much it changes the game. Joe Johnson hasn't looked comfortable yet. Joe Johnson was a, is a 41,000 minute player who in Brooklyn was miscast as the go-to guy, went to Miami and became terrific in as a complimentary player. Can the Jazz find a way to use him in the same way? He was a four most of the time in Miami. He's played almost exclusively as the three in the preseason for the Jazz. Can he defend at that position uh, as well? The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season, I think, is probably Gordon Hayward. He's thought of pretty well but has a lot of doubters. Before his injury, he's up to 235 pounds he looks remarkably strong. He, the game looks very, very, very easy to him uh, right now. And I think with co- better players around him and not having the burden he's had the last few years of being the primary ball handler, playing the second most amount of minutes of anyone in the NBA, having one of the largest workloads, being the isolation go-to guy late with the development of Rodney Hood a little bit, with Rudy Gobert becoming more of a threat, with Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, and George Hill with him. I think the burden on him becomes less. He thrives and looks better in that and becomes a better player uh, in that regard. Uh, uh, the most likely to be thought of, excuse me, if this happens, the season will be great. This has been what's really interesting about the Jazz with this depth this year. And that is, when you start asking people what could happen to make this team great, you get a lot of different answers uh, from people. It's Dante Exum and Trey Lyles would be the answer from some people. On the other end, my answer is Rudy Gobert and Rodney Hood were first-year starters in the NBA last year. And now, as they go through it the second time, they should have much more experience, be much more comfortable with who they are as players. If those two players make the jump that is actually somewhat natural for players at this point. Wing players usually get better the second to the third year of a season, and big men usually get better their third to their fourth year. If Rudy Gobert, who has been remarkable in the preseason as an offensive force around the rim, can become Tyson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, not big offensive moves, but a lot of possessions around the rim at a very high level, that changes it. If Rodney Hood, who was last year's pack rating was zero, just right on average, can get to the free throw line more, be a little more consistent. He had more games last year of 10 or fewer points than he did 20 or more. If he can move his bell curve of offensive performance to a smaller range so that he's more consistent night in and night out and give the Jazz that consistency around those 15 points and not be as variable, those two things would really push this team. That's when the Jazz become 
you know, possibly as crazy as a 50-win team that people have talked about. When George Hill and his experience, Rodney makes the jump to be really bona fide. Gordon continues his near all-star level play, favors, and Gobert becomes a threat with then having the bench of Exum, uh, Alec Burks if he gets healthy, Joe Johnson, Boris, or Trey Lyles, Boris Diaw, and the various, uh, things, players of that nature. Trey Lyles is one that can be thought of differently at the end of the season. If this happens, it derails the season. Well, I think that really the question of whether or not uh, they can figure out who they are as a team. With the additions of Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw, those are more offensive-minded players who really play it well. Can they maintain their defensive prowess, being an elite-level defensive team while improving offensively, picking up their tempo, making it easier for them on the offensive end? Can they still stay as a top-10 uh, defensive team in the league. That, to me, will be the real issue. Part of that will be when Derek Favors comes back, whether or not Derek Favors, as a center, when Rudy Gobert on the bet can have a defensive impact. He has not shown that this he can be a particularly good or the team can be particularly good defensively while he's on the floor. The Jazz were seventh in the league defensively last year. George Hill's a far better defensive point guard than they had last year uh, with both Neto, Trey Burke, and Shelvin Mack being undersized. And so now they can... Uh, Find a way. Can they find a way from there to have George Hill and Dante Exum make them even better defensively? And can they maintain the defensive prowess while playing small with Trey Lyles or Joe Johnson at the four and Favors or Gobert at the center? If they can't find that identity, I think that derails the season. I also think the other one that could derail this season is they need to win somewhat early. There's ten players who think they should finish games on this roster. They have a very difficult schedule early and then fairly soft from November 14th to December 6th. 16th, and they need to step in and play well there. The most likely case scenario is this team makes the natural jump uh, with better depth. The injuries don't impact them as much. They work their way to a 45-46 win team, probably a little bit under Vegas's over-under, and they make the playoffs and add that experience uh, to who they are. So that's my look at the Utah Jazz. That wraps up our Western Conference previews. Thank you to Warby Parker. Try on the home trine at warbyparker.com. The Athletes Collective. Use the promo code LOCKED. Really cool stuff. Check it out. Just search Nice athletic shirts for as low as $15. Some of them are in 19. Uh, they also have a great long sleeves and the shorts as well. It's Athletes Collective. Use the promo code LOCK. Thanks to both those. We'll be back next week. We might even have a special Portland edition with Kevin Pelton for you on Locked On NBA. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you go subscribe to your local Locked On podcast, both the NFL and the NBA. We have every team for you. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.